Maybe don't know. Maybe don't know. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 114 of the Power Company podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I'm sitting here in the Power Company spaceship in the cold and damp Red River Gorge, where our time is coming to an inevitable close. Uh, It's been a busy trip. I recorded around 18 conversations, something like that, including some multi-coach board meetings since I've been here, and I think there are a few more to go. Um, It might be an addiction, people. I'm just saying. It might be an addiction, but it's to your benefit. I am, however, going to be leaving the cold behind for a few days to head to the Bayou City Classic in Houston with Nate at Momentum Silver Street. We're going to be doing a few workshops there. We'll also be doing a few semi-private sessions, and we've got some spots open for those. Um, And there will be sign-up links to all of that right there in the show notes in your pocket supercomputer. So if you're going to be around Houston, please come out and see us. We would love to meet, love to talk, and love to work with you guys a little bit. Uh, From here, we had to Lander for a month to train, then to Waco, and then to five weeks in Australia. And I'm about to start reaching out to Australian gyms about hosting workshops. So if you are a gym down under who is interested, hit me up, info at powercompanyclimbing.com. Or if you're a climber in Australia, you want us to come to your gym, talk to the gym management, tell them to hit us up, info at powercompanyclimbing.com. Pass it on. Uh, Enough about my plans, though. Today's guests are two of the women that I've really, really looked forward to talking with, and I look forward to talking with more, uh, Esther Smith and Ava Lopez. I had the opportunity to sit down with them this past summer in Salt Lake City and record a couple of chats, and you'll be hearing one soon with Ava that's all about what the best hangboard protocols are, or aren't, and if there is a best. That's coming soon, but you'll have to stay tuned for that as well as more from Esther. And if you aren't familiar with Ava and Esther, uh, Esther Smith is a physical therapist and owner of Grassroots Physical Therapy in Salt Lake City. Uh, So many climbers that I know swear by her work, and she's had several really great interviews with Training Beta with Neely Quinn over there. Um, So go check out those episodes. They're really, really informative. And uh, Ava Lopez is a climber, coach and scientist from Spain, and certainly the most well-known finger strength researcher on the planet. Um, And if you haven't heard of her, the fact is you probably got really weak fingers. Just saying. In this episode, the three of us sit down to discuss injury on a more global scale, how to cope with it, and get back to this thing that we all love so much. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. She kept herself feeling like a climber, even though she could hold only 200 grams. 
How do you still feel like a climber when you can't hold a water bottle without pain? about your presentation and both of us were a little surprised at the direction it went and -hmm. that you didn't mention finger strength once during the presentation and we both really appreciated that. We both loved it. And we thought that it was one of the best climbing presentations we've ever seen. Uh, yes. Because it it was focused <clears throat> more Thank on you. the full experience. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. It was simple. The message was powerful. More about the experience. And um, you have this growth mindset that I think is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, that a lot of people miss when they're going to talk to people and try to inspire people or motivate people. They want to focus on the numbers and the end goals and the outcomes. And your focus was on the experience and turning every everything into a learning opportunity. And that was really great to hear from someone whose name is made through research. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, one of the modalities I practice, research. Mm-hmm. But my field really is climbing. Yeah, I am, that's important I'm, to I remember. I am a climber. Yeah. First in the first place, and then uh, everything came behind. First, I'm a climber. Then I'm I like training. Mm-hmm. Then uh, because I like training, I like training people, and then because I learn things. I like to share those things with uh, people, with climbers. <clears throat> and then because I like everything the all, all together, uh, I like research because it's like uh, all the all the things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Learning and sharing and um Thinking in my experience, applied to the field, and your your passion for it was very evident. Um, When Nate and I were talking last night, the only word I could come up with was that you were twinkling every time you talked about. I have a new project. This training allows me to transform into someone who can do that project, Mm -hmm. and. You twinkled. You were you were excited. You were glowing every time you talked about that, and I thought that was really fun to see. That it wasn't dry like a lot of science can seem, or like a translation of a blog post can seem. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all this excitement and this passion behind it. So I loved it. Yeah, thank you very and much, and thank you for making it happen. You know, for bringing her here. I wasn't really sure what to expect from it and and that was exciting for me you know i I go to these things to learn oftentimes and you you have this syllabus you know what you're about to hear so you're prepared 
So it was kind of fun going in, knowing Ava. I mean, I knew of Ava as a climber before I knew of her as a researcher, but now in my head, she's a researcher. Um, so coming in and seeing this side of it uh, was really fun. Yeah, you're welcome. I I didn't know what to expect either. We designed it as just a bit of a platform for Ava to jump off from and to share her story with us and our community. And I think that it just illuminated how fortunate we are to have somebody like her doing this, this research, but having it be born out of the passion that she has um, for climbing and, and for her own training and then how that can be applied to others and, and to her passion for data collection that will show in her, own self-injury management and her performance goals. And I think it's just, it's so uh, awesome to have somebody who blends all of those aspects into what they do. Yeah. And I, I think that's actually probably pretty similar to how I approach physical therapy and, and related to working with climbers is I was first a climber and I love the movement of it and the experience of it and could see that there could be a lot of things um, done to help foster less injury in climbing and, and improve the rehab capabilities and education for climbers because a lot of times people think that climbing is just a, a sport that you're, you know, you're going to get toasted doing right. after some amount of maybe decades. Mm-hmm. And Ava's an example of how that's not true. And many people are, how you can keep climbing and and through training and through, you know, injury management and injury prevention, it's a sport that can, you can foster a ton of longevity in. But, and then for me, like the best learning I've had about managing injury are are really through my own. So, and again, so it's kind of born out of a, a passion for oneself and then the passion for the community, sharing this information and um, helping to kind of educate and foster our sport. Yeah, and you know, ultimately all of this is so that we can help ourselves, help our clients, help other people get to spend more time doing this thing they love at a level where, that they want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think ultimately that's what injury prevention, injury management, um, training, it all it ends up in that same place that we want people to be able to spend more time doing this in a safe, healthy way at a high level. Um, you talked about Ava in your presentation, several injuries that you've had. And, and most recently um, you had a, an elbow injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone in the, in the crowd asked something really interesting in that do you think there's something you could have done differently to avoid that and i think you know that's where i think we should maybe start here is what can climbers do to ensure that they can continue climbing to try and avoid injury i don't think there's any way we can avoid them completely Mm -hmm. Um, but what can we do what can we pay attention to and and how maybe even how much injury is unavoidable um yeah error why. is unavoidable 
Uh, that's true, but um, it's also true that you can prevent many injuries only being well educated mm -hmm. about training. Yeah, because many injuries, uh, scientists say that it's not overuse injuries is training error injuries. Right, because you are not uh, accomplishing the principles of training many times. Individualization is the most important one, mm -hmm. in my opinion. You are only um, searching on the internet about videos yep. from very strong uh, climbers. And you imagine that if you do that, you are going to be like them. And it's, this is not true. Right. Sometimes they are strong, regardless they do. Doesn't matter what they do, they are going to be strong because they are talented in the first place. Mm -hmm. Then they are genetically um, well predisposed to be like that, among other reasons. Perhaps they are doing well also, but they are very strong. That's yeah. why they are doing that, those exercises. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the the first mistake. You are not uh, accomplishing the principle of individualization. Then specificity. If you are climbing in a crack with only vertical walls, perhaps you are not going to need uh, doing so much campusing <laughs> because you don't need the ability to jump to large holds. Perhaps you only try mm, 11s or 12s. And in my opinion, composing is from for athletes uh, from 13B or so, among other things. Yeah. So in my opinion, the first um, measure to take in mind is accomplishing the principles of training mm -hmm. and then elaborating a, a good planning, progressing slowly but um, continuously. Yeah, and we want to go really fast. Yeah, without rats. That's the problem. Yeah. We, we have a rush. We are in a hurry for mm -hmm. everything in life nowadays. <laughs> yeah. And you need uh, your body create the adaptations. You need some, uh, um, you need several weeks for that. Mm -hmm. Or years in another um, physical capabilities. Yeah, I thought it was really important that you showed slides of your first 10B. Mm -hmm. and your your a few early 511s and i thought those were really important for people to see that that you started from the same place of course and yeah. that as you got better over years you showed the the number of years that was between 510 and 514 mm -hmm. and how your body changed over those years mm -hmm. um, and i thought that was really important and a really simple way to show that Mm -hmm. um, that it's not a really fast process and being in a hurry isn't the way. There's so much to learn from yeah. those early days. 
Yeah, especially for the repertoire, motor mm. and perceptive yeah. and psychological. Yeah, absolutely. Because I have noticed uh, these changes in my mind, only uh, coping with weird uh, movement, awkward, just say that word, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> awkward movement, uh, they are only in hard roots. But you need uh, to create that uh, capability in your mind for coping awkward positions and not uh, giving up to applying force in that position because you are not comfortable. Right. You want uh, uh, to finish the the route already because you are not uh, comfortable. Mm -hmm. yeah, and this is a adaptation not um, very slowly to be created because yeah. you need to put effort and you need to cope uh, in a steady and progressive way to those type of routes, for yeah. example. And it is, this is slow. You yep. need time. Absolutely. And you need um, perhaps um, someone coaches you well for not giving up and expecting um, the benefits and the improvements because they are going to to come but if you are, are in a hurry <laughs> <laughs> yeah it goes bad probably if you are going to get injured because yeah. you are doing the movement in the most inefficient position in your shoulders, as as a store um, says in the in their article in her articles, for example. So, wow, so is it's a great topic. You work mostly with climbers, right, Esther? Right. Yeah. Is that something that you see pretty often? Is just is pe people in a hurry to progress through the grades and and I like that Ava just mentioned that progressing through the grades slowly you you really learn not only physically how to get into these awkward positions safely but also psychologically to be comfortable in those awkward positions um, and I assume that's something that you see relatively often is that the case that people are just hurrying through yeah definitely um as part of it um i think as you guys were saying injuries happen mm -hmm. and you know many are unavoidable just because of the demands of the sport but it's less about repeated overuse um, more about misuse mm. and whether that's happening on the wall or in our off the wall training exercises form with hangboarding pull-ups, push-ups, antagonist exercises. So part of what's being rushed, I think, is the foundational knowledge of really how to set our body up for success and how to know about this machine that we're using. Right. And we're putting through these extreme demands as climbers that don't exist in other sports. And we have to understand how do our limbs attach to our trunk Right. And what are these foundational areas where we have a ton of upper extremity demand, overhead, overhanging, mm -hmm. with load, with dynamic force, strain happening through this system, 
four or five times a week <laughs> yeah. for hours and hours and hours with little recovery. Right. How is the situation being, um, you know, sort of what's, what's the awareness level of how our toes interact with the wall mm-hmm. and then how that limb or legs meet back up with our trunk and how we could improve the efficiency of our lower extremities into our core, into our trunk, then offset injuries of an, in our upper extremity by helping to unload our fingers, our elbows, and our shoulders. So I think part of the rapidness of climbing and the joy of climbing and the movement of climbing that we see, you know, a lot of people getting into it, there's this whole bypass of understanding our body structure. Yeah. And I see it in the top-level elite professional climbers that they um, there's so much like light bulbs kind of going off when they understand their anatomy a little bit, they're educated on the mechanics of these body parts and then how to train that that part of the machine um, to improve performance, efficiency, and injury prevention. Um, and in injury, we like to rush through that and we want that to be done and over quickly. But our body has these physiologic processes that it it's determines the time it takes to heal tissue. Right, right. And so again, well, what do we know about tissue healing, a tendinopathy, a sprain, an inflammatory process? We, we know these physiologic mechanisms and we kind of know some time frames and we know how to facilitate a healing environment. So, so a lot of times there's this pace to injury that has to be accepted. But then I love what Ava has done with when we were discussing her um, elbow injury was she kept herself feeling like a climber even though she could hold only 200 grams of load in her hand. Right. How do you still feel like a climber when you can't hold a water bottle without pain? And that is, I think, such such an interesting thing about climbing, training, progression is how do we, we know injury is going to happen to most of us at some point. Um, But, you know, it goes to also if you're, even if you're not injured, like what do you, what are you doing when you're training and how does training actually reference actually climbing and being a climber and performance there? And how do we connect kind of this imagery and visualization and um, kind of mental coping aspects and stuff? I, I find that quite interesting. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, maybe that's part of why people rush through injuries because they've lost their identity as a climber Yeah, when they can't climb. You know, I have to get back to the gym. I have to get back on the wall. I have to be hangboarding or whatever it is. Um, So can we talk a little about that, Ava, about your injury and what you did to continue feeling like a climber and, and be able to work around this severe, it was lateral elbow tendinosis, mm-hmm. right? That's true, yeah. yeah. Uh, first, uh, I'm going to, to say something about what Esther okay. has said about the, the, the body, um, the understanding of how body works. Mm-hmm. Because uh, in my opinion, it's very important um, Let's uh, see one thing. Uh, climbing is a sport based in, on movement, mm-hmm. right? So if you um, if you understand your body, if you um, are very good in uh, con- in your body control, you are going to be a better climber. 
because you are going to solve better the the cracks, for example, uh, because you are going to be more efficient. So if you apply that uh, knowledge in every exercise you are doing, handboarding, pull-ups, <coughs> push-ups, right. rings, uh, training, if you are uh, positioning well your shoulders, your mm -hmm. wrist, your elbows, your core, your hips, you are going, uh, you are working also in being a better climber. At, yeah. at the same time, you are preventing injuries because you are uh, putting your joints in the good position. Yeah. Not to be hurt. Yeah, I think giving the same respect that you give to climbing to all of the exercises that you're doing exactly is really important. It's really important. You are uh, working on being a better climber in every exercise you are mm -hmm. doing. Even stretching, it doesn't matter. Right. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. You are, you are training uh, when you are uh, standing up. Uh, mm -hmm. You are training for being a better climber when you are, I don't know, you are uh, lifting weights in the waiting room. Yep. And now, regarding your question, <laughs> sorry. No, uh, that's fine. My process about the tendinosis. Yeah, that's true that uh, when you get injured, the hardest part of it is uh, losing uh, your identity as yeah. a climber. Yeah. This is really hard and this is very painful and I feel very sad in first place. Mm -hmm. But especially if I can't uh, uh, practice any sport, I need to uh, do something. Sometimes I uh, I have been able only to walk, for example. It's enough. <laughs> it's a solution. But I always uh, figure out uh, some exercise to do while I'm expecting to my injury be healed. Because uh, time is key. Right. There is a time you need for uh, the tissue heal uh, a little. And for that time, I always um, think what I can do. In this case, with my elbow injury, uh, I started uh, working on my legs, on my core, m even more than before. Mm -hmm. And sometimes with uh, the other arm. Because I... I only I had only to expect for two weeks sometimes for uh, using more the other arm. So two weeks working with only my other arm, it doesn't uh, um, feel uh, bad for my body. Right. It's, it goes right. Isn't it, <laughs> sir? Yes. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I invented uh, exercises for doing because uh, it wasn't uh, painful when I was supinating. Uh, in pronation, uh, was painful, but not in supination. Okay. So I was doing uh, handboarding, very very soft. Uh, it, I I wasn't uh, training really only feeling I was a climber. 
Mm-hmm. So I was doing exercises in supination and uh, uh, with uh, my elbow a little flexed for avoiding the pain and um, thinking about uh, another things to improve in my training, not only my forearm, other aspects, mm-hmm. technique and understanding my my body how how my elbow um, moves for uh, doing every exercise because pain was like a signal of uh, my extensors were working so um, this was really interesting to me because i was mastering my body even right. more because i i understood how the elbow how the forearm works so yeah i enjoy learning every yeah. aspect of that so i was enjoying in the process also because i i was uh, realizing about a lot of things mm-hmm. i didn't know before the injury and i was searching about the topic and i was collecting some ideas and uh, yeah, it was not uh, very bad. Finally, <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that's a great approach to find a few things that you can do mm-hmm. um, that that don't aggravate the injury, exactly, um, and mm-hmm. do those things to help yourself feel like a climber. Um, and then you said you you were gaining a level of mastery um, of how your elbow worked and how the forearm worked. And I think that's something that people skip over. They want to, when they have an injury, they want it to go away. They want to ignore that it ever existed mm-hmm. and just move on. Mm-hmm. And And in that case, it happens again and again and again. And in your case learning why it happened, what's happening, how to work around it while healing it. Um, that seems like it creates a little more longevity to me. Like you'll be able to do that for longer and and keep that injury at bay, um, keep it away a little longer. Um, so I think that's a much smarter approach to it than than the normal I wish this didn't happen, so I'm going to ignore it. Approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and happen again because a previous injury is one of the most important factors to injuries. Right. <laughs> re-injury and re-injury and re-injury. Mm-hmm. It means that you are missing something <laughs> very important, yeah. and you are losing level, and you wouldn't want that, right? Mm-hmm. So not getting injured is a factor of performance, for sure. It's like finger strength, or like pulling strength, or like a capability to cope with fear and with difficulty. Not getting injured is a one important factor. Sure, for sure. performance. Yeah. Eva, do you have a theory of why your Elbow injury occurred? Well, uh, 
I have, yeah, some theories. First, uh, I have been climbing for 25 years. <laughs> and uh, what you are using, uh, you are, uh, you are um, broken, breaking, breaking, right? <laughs> Tissues are not forever. Right. And you have to pay the, the bill at the end. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is one of my hypotheses, age. Yeah. 25 years climbing and uh, 40, 40, 40, let me think, 47 years I have. So it's not bad that after 25 years, uh, this injury. Second hypothesis is uh, weight exercises. I was doing for a long time, I, al I am always doing uh, weight exercises it takes part of my training and I was doing uh, very hard exercises for the shoulder uh, with a lot of weight because I could do it mm -hmm. and I I wasn't uh, having any symptom of pain not overload in anything but uh, one day I started feeling the pain and I I was thinking uh, it was uh, it could be because of that I don't know perhaps um, when you started feeling that pain did you just like most of us do continue doing those exercises no, and hope that I, it goes away I um, remove those exercises okay yeah and uh, I don't know the reasons because sometimes it's, um, there, uh, there are several factors that you are not controlling and the, the moment. And uh, it's like in uh, accidents with aircrafts, with planes, mm -hmm. is a summary of, uh, you say that, it's a sum of factors right. that uh, occur the accident. And uh, another thing is that uh, total control doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I, I think a lot about the factors and I'm working now on my antagonists because this is a factor very important for strong people when you are gaining a lot of strength in your fingers uh, your um, extensors uh, are not in the same um, improvement right so you are uh, you are in a imbalance so i'm i'm doing these exercises forever because this is a factor affecting for sure and uh, when I have thought uh, for enough time in the factors, I'm, I can't uh, find the key. I forgot about it because pff, it's better not to be so obsessed about controlling everything. Sometimes you can't. You only have the present moment to act. And this is the important thing from now and on and the future. And I, I can say also in my favor that uh, any injury, 
and that I I have is has been repeated. Any injury uh, I, in that I have uh, ha has occurred again. Right. So perhaps I'm doing what I can <laughs> for mm -hmm. that. <laughs> yeah. I put I mean, I'm putting <coughs> the means for that, but I'm not perfect. Well, I don't none know. Of us, none of us <laughs> Perhaps are. Perhaps I'm Neither. going to, to, to <laughs> fail again. <laughs> I try really hard to be perfect and it never works. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> uh, Esther, you thought that Ava's approach to her injury was, um, I don't know if novel is the right word, but, um, but there were some really important factors in her approach because you were talking with her around the time that she was rehabbing this injury, right? Uh, so tell me a little bit about what you saw that you thought was important because you deal with these types of injuries pretty often. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and she was rehabbing her tendinopathy uh, in a similar way that we try to advocate mm -hmm. the way that we um, align people with our protocols at, at grassroots. Um, in that you are working with the, the physiology of the muscle tendon system, and so it requires certain input for healing. So eccentric loading and, you know, kind of those parameters are, are um, known among, you know, rehab uh, specialists. But what, what was um, just, I guess, what was cool for me to see was that, one, she individualized her therapy, which is what we try to do too with everybody. But she took herself as this um, researcher, a high level climber um, and human with emotions and, you know, needs that way and, and made a rehab protocol that suited her. So again, doing exercises that felt like there was input to her brain and to her system that was, you know, some resistance, some load, some tensile forces that do give feed, you know, gets feedback to our brain and right, helps our endorphins right. and our mental stability. When I had a broken foot and couldn't walk, felt some severe, you know, chemical mm. imbalance. And I was like, what do I need to do to give my brain input to feel better? Right. So that's important because attitude and mood and and emotions around injury and healing, and it's it's super important. Um, I liked that she took the grip positions that were uh, possible for her mm -hmm. and used those to actually, again, still maintain some base strength, um, again, kind of maintain her um, emotional balance. So if she couldn't do a palm down grip, she chose to, she created a new little hanging device that she showed me a video of that allowed her to hang in supination. And I was like, what is that? Is that for your tendinopathy? Like, are you remodeling that way? Because I, I take it as a science approach. Like, what are you doing for healing the, the tendon? She's like, no, this is for me to hang because I like to hang. Right. And right. I was like, that's cool. Yeah. And it's something I, I haven't necessarily done as much with my clients and, and, and it, it awoken me to that to that need probably for mm -hmm. people for me to not only be so focused on what their tissue needs to heal but also what their brains might need and right, um, right. give people ideas that way to still participate in their community and at the gym and get out of their house and do those things and it also prepared you know it prepares you for return to sport 
it, it lays the bridge for return to sport while you're still rehabbing, which is good. Um, and then, and then the patience that Ava had to tinker with her body and to really design individualized exercises that worked for her, given her, uh, high acuity and high pain irritability with her exercise or with her, uh, injury. She had to really, really like take it way down to baseline. She couldn't use like the familiar, familiar tools like the flex bar or other right. simple tools. She had to. Um, really design these banded um, eccentric exercises done in the correct forearm position that were tolerable for her. Um, and she re- she helped her elbow flexors work under certain conditions. So she was kind of sending me these string of videos and, and I was just impressed by the, the patience and the tinkering um, and kind of looking at... Um, her body in, in a whole sense during injury and not just in the part that needed the rehab, right. but taking, taking the body and um, the injury process as a whole. Yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, maybe that's the, how a researcher, um, how someone very familiar with their body would approach it. But in my brain, and I think in a lot of other people's brains, because we are we're constantly given this information uh, if you have this injury this is what you do then in our brains we would think you Esther as a clinician Ava as a scientist researcher would stick to that protocol and that protocol only so i think it's really interesting that this tinkering this making it more individualized you're advocating for that as well, Esther. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't want to do that. They want to stick to the protocol as if it's the only way. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I think this is, I think this could be eye opening for a lot of people that if we can make it fit us a little more, then it becomes even better. Yeah. You buy in, you have increased compliance. Right. You start to build a bank of knowledge for yourself to avoid future injury. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that individualization, individual, individualization is super important if it comes to training outside of injury or yeah. in injury um, rehab. And I always tell my people, I'm like, okay, so there's these protocols, right? And I think we could get, both Ava and myself could get pinned on saying this is the best thing and this is the right thing and this is generalizable to everybody. But unfortunately, it's not. But we do try to provide these generic principles to our community because right, it's kind of the best and, we have, you know, otherwise yeah. nobody gets anything. Right. But, um, but then I always say to them, it's like, okay, we have this set of ingredients and you're going to build your own recipe. Right. And you know, some people need two parts of this and one part of that and three parts of this. And it's like the same with nutrition, hydration, um, yeah. strength, flexibility, mobility, cardiovascular. Right. I mean, everything has to be this little, uh, yeah, complementary set of ingredients that then bakes your cake. Yeah. And um, and that takes time and patience and learning. And But what's cool is you have, you know, these people in the field that you can see or, you know, gather resources. And I think everybody's capable of building that um, for themselves. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and I think taking, you know, it, it, climbing's interesting too because I think that it's so beta-driven. Yep. This is the way. Mm. 
Right. <laughs> and so yeah. if you have elbow <laughs> elbow tendonitis, you should do a lot of push-ups. Right. And I hear that and I'm like, what? Who said that? And why are like <laughs> dozens of people saying this? Yeah. <laughs> repeating this beta. And I think it's funny. So it's just interesting. It's in the culture of our sport. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, why are you doing push-ups? Um, how are you doing push-ups? Mm-hmm. What is that offering your elbow? And are you budgeting, you know, if you have a selection of things that you can do to stress your body, what are you picking? And, you know, what's the debt you might be building that you have to pay later, as Ava was suggesting? Yeah. Or, you know, so it's like this cost benefit. Why are you campusing? Right. You know, yeah. why are you hangboarding? Right. If you're a 5'10", 5'11", climber, shouldn't you just keep climbing? Or do you need to be doing finger strength training? Mm-hmm. You know, and shouldn't maybe you be building your foundational core and shoulder and hip stability and efficiency and function and footwork before you hit the hangboard? Right. So, so but I think it's cool because it's an inspirational sport. We're motivated, inspired by people who are stronger, better, or, you know, we appreciate their whatever, how they do things. Mm-hmm. And we can look at them and it's visual. We could see what they're doing and it's intoxicating and we get kind of swept up by that. But uh, but sometimes just going back to those boring basics is, is really important, whether it's with injury or with training. Yeah, I agree. And I think we saw a really great example of that last night where um, during the question and answer, I'll go ahead and just call out the shrine crew here um steve (laughs) Steve and and jaywoo were very in the weeds with the um really concerned about the details of hangboarding um and i thought your approach was was great to that ava and i think it speaks to what we're talking about here that it's a a more well-rounded holistic there are more important things than how many seconds you hang or or what the exact protocol that the internet says you should do for your elbow. Um, making it fit you is the better way and fit your goals and fit your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, I think it's very common in climbing. Like you said, it's a beta-driven sport. It's very cold and clinical, this is the way. Um, so allowing some emotion into the parts where we think there's no room for it mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. Now, do have both of you worked with youth climbers as well? Have you done much work with youth climbers, um, A fair bit. <clears throat> okay. I think I'll let Ava answer. I, I have no work with young, young climbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I have only given some private classes mm-hmm. to some of them. But I'm preparing a um, workshop, a, a course about Joe's claiming training. Uh, I have been working on the topic uh, two years now. And I'm giving some uh, talks about it. So I'm collecting data for okay. uh, giving to <coughs> the community, community when they are well prepared. Um, because this is a very important moment. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of uh, young climbers starting climbing, mm-hmm. and uh, there are many injuries uh, are expecting them <laughs> if you are not uh, taking care of them. And there are also um, danger of dropout 
the sport. Right. If the parents or the coaches and the community uh, is not are not mm, aware about some approaches not very beneficial for them. So uh, this is what uh, I'm doing now. I'm giving some talks and I'm collecting data. Yeah, can we talk a little bit about um, this explosion of of youth climbing right now? There's so many kids coming into the sport and and not only just kids, but beginner climbers in general, I think have a similar situation. Um, can we talk a little about a, a general approach to how to progress in a healthy way instead of, um, I think climbing gyms, while great as a tool for getting better at climbing, also make it very uh, compelling. They, they entice people to move too quickly through the grades and very quickly into jumping to little holds that they're not ready to grab. And um, they don't teach you the same foundation as climbing outside does. Um, so I think... I think there probably is a really good approach to it. Um, and maybe we can talk a little bit about things that we should be on the lookout for as beginner climbers or as youth climbers or as parents of youth climbers. Many of my listeners are. So mm -hmm. I think uh, nowadays one of the problems um, against a, a good approach is the mentality in competition from the very beginning in, in young climbers in beginners in general because it's a business uh, climbing is a business right no? right so climbing gyms are uh, organizing uh, very frequently competitions because it's fun and because it's motivating but also perhaps uh, they are creating a mentality on the result depending on the approach of the competition, of course. But um, the kids um, perhaps are developing a mentality focused on being strong, not in being skilled about climbing. Mm -hmm. And climbing, especially when you start to do it, it's important to be focused on the repertoire, the movement the patterns, the right. body, the the body control, right. in a, a word, in, in two words, mm -hmm. <laughs> body control. <laughs> and this is especially important in the first stages in, for young people until, I would say, until 12 years old. There are some phases proposed uh, by, uh, by some uh, scientists, Canadian uh, scientists, there are several phases well determined. There is one phase only for fun fundamental, only for basics uh, of climbing. And then from 12 years old, for uh, girls, start uh, the phase called uh, learn to train. Learn to train, train to train, and train to compete. 
right. from the puberty ahead until 14 years old, you, you don't, you shouldn't start that phase very focused on the competition and very focused right. on the strength exercises for your fingers and mm -hmm. everything. Before that, it's better to be focused on the control of your body and uh, acquiring a wide repertoire of how to hold, uh, how to grab every hold and how to move your legs and how to move your hips and fan and mm -hmm. all that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I'm glad you added fun into there. I think that's really yeah, important. Yeah, it's the first yeah. ingredient. If there is no fun, the kid are going to drop. Yeah, I everyone. I was a gymnast, a competitive gymnast and a gymnastics coach before I was a climber. And I've long held the belief that gymnastics is one of the best developmental sports that there is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But for girls, it becomes a dangerous sport really quickly. Um, for boys, they can continue in it longer without those same dangers. And the dangers that I saw working in a, a very competitive, high-level gymnastics facility was that the girls at a very young age stopped having fun, and it became their job. And they were in the gym all the time mm -hmm. um, because they were going to peak at 14 years old. Mm -hmm. So yeah. by the time they were 11 or 12, they weren't going to school anymore. They had tutors in the gym. There, yeah. It wasn't fun. The boys aren't going to peak until they're in college. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they're still having fun when they're yeah, 12, years 13 years old. Of difference <clears throat> between boys and girls. Two years yeah. yep. is too much. Mm -hmm. And girls uh, drop out uh, more than boys in sports because, among other things, uh, social pressure. Mm -hmm. For being uh, in a, for behaving and being in a specific way that society dictates, right, right, and you are uh, a person to be looked, and uh, you you need to be like society says, and many girls want to respond to the gender stereotypes, and they drop out. Yeah, a lot of pressure. Sometimes. But climbing is not like gymnastics because gymnastics is about automatization right. of, uh, of the um, exercises. Right. And you need to start very, very um, early to do that. But climbing is based on uh, um, mastering a lot of different mm -hmm. pattern, mo mo movement patterns yep so is um, is better um, to do that at the beginning until that age 12 or 14 and then focused more on the physical training because physical training um, has in uh, has um, good benefits in very short time so speaking but the other adaptations take a long time mm -hmm. so it's uh, smart to be focused on that at the beginning <laughs> and then when you are strong and you have hormones in your body 
uh, go to the physical training. Right. Especially for fingers, because mm -hmm. you, you can work on your legs and your core and your upper body before that age. It's good and it's very interesting for the kids from mm -hmm. 10 years old. Working on their body strength is really great, but yeah. not in your fingers. Right, right. With crimp, hurts. Yeah, learning to control the the shoulders and the hips and exactly that stuff's about more important. Body control early. about your shoulders, wrists, and elbows is very interesting to do it from nine or ten years old because you has uh, your body scheme already, right. and it's the time for learning about the correct position. And then when you have the the puberty there, you take advantage of that moment, biological moment, for uh, improving a lot your strength very quickly. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point to time, <clears throat> time your strength training rather than jumping into it too early. Mm -hmm. Do it when it's going to have the most bang for your buck so to speak the most benefit mm -hmm. instead of trying to jump in earlier because that seems better to you mm -hmm. yeah and you, do you yeah I, I i do have a little perspective on that but eva is there um some phase or delineation that you've known about when to add load onto kids like if they are doing hangboard training when is an acceptable age or performance level where you can start adding weight above body weight? And mm -hmm. then the second question is a campusing. Is it still the mm. performance level at 513C or is there uh, also an age threshold for that? Yeah. Uh, there are um, some studies about that. There's some recommendations about ages for starting handboarding by Volker Schoffer. It's a German physician mm -hmm. and climber and he recommends not to start uh, doing fingerboarding uh, after um, uh, the phase of peak high velocity which is around uh, 15 or 16 years old for boys and two years before for girls especially in that um, phase in pre-puberty or puberty is dangerous because uh, the the tendon is attached exactly in the same place that the growth plate is so there is like a translation of the bones when you are crimping and the kids uh, get injured got injured because of, of that when they are growing so in that phase, I recommend uh, not to do in uh, fingerboarding. Um, before that, perhaps you can start to learn about the body, the good body position for hanging, because climbing, you are hanging many times right, when you are right. a kid, it doesn't matter. So you need to teach to your, ki your kids to hang correctly from the hold when, when climbing, and when uh, they are uh, doing acrobatics in monkey bars, for example, it's a good uh, exercise or from, from, the, from the rings or from a good hold 
from a slower ergonomical for them for them at 10 or 11 years old they can learn about the correct hanging position not training only learning with a very very wide margin to failure for example 10 seconds 15 seconds in this way, they are learning also to um, acknowledge about their feelings, about the intensity, about the loading, about the, their body. And this is really key for training in climbing and for uh, reaching the high performance level, analyzing yourself and uh, knowing about how to manage your training load. So you are teaching uh, many times with simple exercises. And then um, during the puberty, you don't do anything about fingerboarding and campusing. If they are very strong, perhaps they can do some no-fit exercises, but um, without velocity, only controlling the position and the um, cream and the um, the way they grab the holds, only for working on the pulling strength if they are strong and they are talented. Right. Otherwise, it's better not doing that. And um, regarding weighted hangs, not until uh, after poverty, for making sure. 18 years old for boys and uh, two years before or so for girls. Uh, but in general, uh, as a bottom line, um, after 16 years old in boys, 14 years old in girls, not doing handboarding as a training tool itself, like everyone, is better and two years more for added weight in general. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to remember as well that there were a lot of years prior to hangboarding being a popular tool um, that people gained really high levels of finger strength just through climbing. Um, so for those parents who are very eager to get their kids on hangboards to help their finger strength. It's not the only way to gain finger strength. You can you can develop a fair amount of finger strength just through really intentional, really deliberate climbing as well. Yeah, but so. if you think a little, uh, you need to pay the same attention. Or Absolutely. Be, mm, careful. Mm -hmm. The same while, while climbing. And when you uh, do fingerboarding, yep. because if you if the kids uh, are crimping all the holds right. and the holds are less than one phalanx, less than twenty millimeters, they are crimping. So it's the same. No, it's better. They do it. They do fingerboarding <laughs> in this case, right? Because you are controlling the parameters. And when they are climbing, they are not. 
-hmm. So you need to educate your kids and the coaches and the community uh, not to use um, very small holds with kids and not very reaching moves over crimps yep. and learning about uh, using other uh, type of holds because open hand is safe and uh, about um, educating about the margin to failure to the kids also. How much is for you this hold? How difficult is for you? From one to 10, what number do you say is this hold for you? It's eight. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay, you try once or twice. Right. And not quickly. Mm -hmm. And put uh, very well your foot. Right. And not while you're really tired. Yeah, of course. So it's not that easy than that. Not doing fingerboarding and it's safe. No, it's many things. Yeah, okay. I, I do think American gyms have done a good job of making it safer um, by their hold selection. Um, it's, it's pretty rare to go into an American climbing gym now and see crimps. Mm -hmm. um, there just aren't that many of them anymore. And while that may hold back adult climbers because they never get the option to crimp while they're in the gym, it's definitely better for young developing fingers to climb on those open-handed holds. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, good. Do you see kids with common injuries, Esther? Are they coming in with something common or is it does it seem to be kind of all over the board to you um i i i think probably fingers are probably the the more common injury among uh kids and shoulder injuries mm -hmm. those are the two i see and the ex the experiences i've had more than treating a lot of kids in the clinic has been um, spending some time with youth teams uh in the salt lake valley um, momentum climbing team and you know some other kind of um team regional meetings and have had the opportunity to, to instruct kids on basic body organization and mm. mechanics. Good. And, and I think that that's, that's where we yeah need to be spending our time directly educating the kids, but, and maybe more importantly, starting to educate the people that are coaching and teaching the kids, mm. whether it's kids on teams or just new climbers or young climbers entering into the sport. Because it's like last week I was at a, a coach's um, kind of instructor team meeting. And again, the opportunity to educate now the coaches and instructors about body mechanics and body awareness and organization. And um, I would say that everybody needs that education, um, but yeah. it needs to be disseminated from, you know, the bottom up and the, and the, and the top down. Um, and so putting investment and time and energy into, as Ava suggested, body control. Um, and that, that's just across the board, whether you're a youth or an adult, uh, for injury prevention, for performance, um, and efficiency and longevity in the sport. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's huge when, when we do our team workshops, coaches workshops, they're very much movement and mindset based um, on methods of teaching kids new movements and teaching them better tension and better control. 
um, and you know better control of dynamic movements yeah. um, as opposed to just flinging themselves around which which is something that I think happens pretty quickly and naturally for kids because they come into a gym set by adults all the holds are really far apart so they learn to jump really quickly mm -hmm. um, and then as they move through the grades the holds get smaller and smaller and they've gotten really good at jumping but not really good at staying in control and engaged when they're latching the next hold right. um, so I think we we've created some you know, some benefits to the kids in terms of grip selection, but then also we've created dangerous situations for them in the gyms. So I think it's important to teach the coaches, um, teach the, the kids themselves more about how to, how to control their bodies in those situations and what control means. Right. Yeah. And starting with static hanging and mm -hmm. hanging right and that engagement. And if that's not attainable, then looking at the off the wall, exercises that allow you to build that strength and stability sure. and motor control because it's not so much a like it is in older adults having this you know stiffness this mobility flexibility issue to get into proper positioning mm -hmm. for kids it's stability and awareness and i've walked in on the you know and taught these kids and i and not one of them was in my opinion hanging in the most optimal way um, but they learn so quickly right. you give them a couple cues and you give them a couple off the wall exercises and they got it and they, they actually uh, connect the dots that I feel stronger right? and they feel more resilient. And that just builds a whole different, um, I think mental perspective and strength and um, for them moving forward with their performance. But so yeah, the hanging ride and, and um, you know, doing a proper push up and a proper plank and a proper pull up and um, those basics. And then the, the lower extremity um, kind of, hip extension, posterior chain strength, I think is a huge missing link that kids aren't necessarily aware of their lower bodies and that connection to lower extremity and mm -hmm. paying attention to footwork and how that can um, offset injury of their fingers and shoulders. Yeah. Are there, are there ways that coaches can reach out to you if they're interested in having you come out? Is this something you just do here in Utah? No. Yeah. I would like to start to travel and that's something that um, starting to, develop you know potentially with like momentum climbing gyms is going and and i'm um, doing some education and their new gyms in washington and texas and mm -hmm. trying to just grab you know um more people at a time to provide this education so for sure um could um, i'm interested in that on a, on a larger scale and um you know maybe putting together some written resources and things like that for people to take a look at um but yeah, I think I think we're at the the forefront of a really good movement in climbing to increase the professionalism and the the research and evidence and um, also just I think this feeling that there isn't one way so that right. individualization and and capacity to be dynamic with our thought process for for every kid and for every climber. Um, but and we're right there right now. And that's yeah. why I think it's so exciting uh, for the sport yeah, it is, yeah. is this time. Um, and, and everybody's on board. Yeah. So it's, it's a cool thing. Yeah. And Ava, you said you've been working on developing a workshop for youth climbers. Is that, is there a timeline on that? Is that something that's coming in the near future? Yeah. Probably the next year is prepared. Okay. All the contents. Now, honestly, it's prepared yeah. <laughs> almost, but I need to put to, 
uh, fine-tuning a little mm-hmm. uh, contents and put it in in another uh, way of delivering because nowadays I'm only giving a talk about the contents, but uh, I'm going to acquire more um, experience with them before uh, giving clinics about right, that right. topic. And um, regarding uh, what you said before, um, it's important, and that's why I am visiting uh, some climbing gyms in Spain only for uh, observing them, observing kids, observing the classes with the coaches, observing uh, their competitions, how they are, how they uh, they feel, what they need, what mm-hmm. the parents uh, uh, um, say, what the coaches say, and uh, I'm comparing with the literature, um, I'm reflecting about all the things, and I, mm, what I'm trying to say is that uh, I'm trying to learn about them. They are teaching me how to do it. Right. Because many times we are seeing the kids uh, with uh, the mind of an adult, and but kids are different than mm-hmm. adults. They are dynamic because they are um, developing the coordination in some stage. In 10 years old, for example, they are very um, um, stimulating for acquiring the perfect coordination. So right. that's the moment for doing uh, all, the, all the work on that topic about coordination, about jumping, about landing correctly, and um, about uh, all those uh, uh, aspects in climbing. So um, you need to teach them, uh, but uh, you need to learn about that them before Absolutely. say something to them, because they are showing you that it's important for them um, the coordination and the jumping and the landing because it's fun for them because right. they are in the um, proper phase for doing that. So um, in it's, that it's stage, still fun for you. So I think that phase lasts forever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. And uh, but it's so sad to see uh, the kids in the podium nowadays how um, they how the their body uh, is for example with the shoulders with excessive internal rotation right and with the humerus uh, pointing upwards mm-hmm. and uh, forward and this is a signal that uh, we are not doing well with them because they are developing their muscles very quickly in, in one specific phase. Right. And if you are not doing before that phase antagonistic training and education about the body position, they are uh, uh, mutating mm-hmm. before you notice. Right. And it's too late because they are very well uh, developed already and it's late. Yeah. You need to pay attention before that phase, before puberty, on the antagonist training and flexibility, 
on body control because after that you lost the opportunity. Yeah, and I think that's maybe the most important reason that there are people like yourself, like Esther, like a lot of the great coaches out there who are really paying attention to these things and really starting to implement some of these protocols and paying attention to um, what it is that these youth climbers need um, yeah, and, and what's going to help them the most. There are uh, some advices, uh, very simple. For example, Eric Hurst uh, put it in their mm -hmm. website. It's very simple. If you notice uh, if the kid uh, has any pain in the morning after a workout in the fingers, right in the morning, just wake up and they notice. Uh, you need to um, to put uh, him or her in rest for a week or uh, going to visit uh, the physician for a MRA because probably they have already some joint issue or a growth plate injury because kids hasn't, haven't uh, um, pulley injuries, for example. Right. When their fingers hurt, is because the growth plate right. or the joint, because they have half of of uh, like fifty percent of the kids has any sue on, on their fingers in any time. Hmm. That's a lot. It's a lot. So you need to pay attention to that uh, signal in the morning or any pain. Because is um, because their joints are sore, swollen, inflammated, mm -hmm. and in a kid, that's not uh, good. Right, we're trying to build long-lasting athletes. Yeah, who love the sport, not yeah, 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 not just help them win tomorrow. Yeah, if you wait, it's only a matter of time. It's who if you wait for five years. Uh, your uh, kid, your daughter, your son uh, can do anything about yep. training. Yep. Anything. But if they have dropped out, if they have uh, getting hurt, yep. they are not. Yeah, absolutely. So it's only it's a few years. Be only, only a little patience mm -hmm. <laughs> and there are a lot of things to develop in climbing a lot yeah okay well I appreciate you sitting down this morning I know you were a little nervous about whether your English was good enough or not and I think yeah. it's great so it's I'm glad that I we... I hope it's enough <laughs> it's perfect yeah I'm glad we were able to, to be sit understandable. down <laughs> And again, to you, Esther, thanks for making this whole thing happen um, and for, you know, giving Ava the space last night to, to tell her story. Um, I think that gets lost on the internet when we're all just very concerned about the research and tell me what the best protocol is, you know. Um, the, the whole story gets lost. So I'm glad I got to experience that. Yeah, I like stories. Yeah. <clears throat> so it was, it was a pleasure. And thanks for making the opportunity for us to interview with you. Yeah, 
right. Yeah, Thank you. the same. I, I can't say enough about Esther because he's very kind. <laughs> and I had uh, fun finally yesterday. I was really nervous. I'm not going to lie mm -hmm. <laughs> about <Yeah>. it. <laughs> because the language, because people, I don't know, you never know right. how it's going to be the thing if you are going to be there's always going to be not? a steve mason a justin wood in the audience who you have? <laughs> they're always going to be there who want to know about all the little details yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah it was great and thank you also to you for this yep. big Big thanks to both Ava and Esther for taking the time to do this, and especially to Esther for putting this all together. Thank you so much. And like I said, you'll be hearing more from both of them soon. From Ava, the conversation you all want to hear, it's coming. Be patient, people. Be patient. In fact, I'm maxing out my hard drives with all these conversations, so you'll get it soon. Uh, Esther, let's get together soon, record some more. See, addiction. I can't shake it. It, it. It's an addiction, period. You can find both of these women on the internets. There will be links right there in the show notes on your pocket supercomputer to both Ava's site and Esther's site and how you can reach out to them. Uh, like I said, if you're in the Houston area, please look us up sign up for our workshops we would love to work with you and if you're in oz hit me up info at powercompanyclimbing.com we want to come to your gym and i'm going to be there for five weeks so i'm going to have to have some rest days in that time i'm old we'll come to your gym hit me up until then you know where to find us powercompanyclimbing.com you can find us at powercompanyclimbing on the instagrams the facebooks and the pinterests you can search for us. You can tell people we're on the Twitters, but we're not because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles.